Hello, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to be with you today. This is the Cedar Fort Come Follow Me Made Easier series. And today we're going to be talking about two prophets, uh, the prophets Hosea and Joel. And to encapsulate, encapsulate some of the core themes, we're really going to be focusing on the, the, the core ideas of Israel being in an apostate condition, but also in the latter days that Israel will be gathered and brought back to the Lord and reconciled to our Father in heaven and his only begotten Son. And also in reference to the last days about the nature of dreams and revelations and prophesyings that would occur. So I think these are very timely messages. They are very pertinent. I would say they're more pertinent to our day, our time, than they were to the time in which they are based. And there are so many wonderful concepts here. We can't touch on everything, but I would like to touch on some of the core themes so that we might reflect on those themes and, and think about how they might apply in our own lives. And there's wonderful material here. I hope that my tongue is loosed. I hope that the Spirit of the Lord will be with me as a source of inspiration and edification as we study uh, together, as we learn those things which the Lord would have us know by revelation and by inspiration. So let's begin. Let's have a look in Hosea chapter 1. And the, the key idea here, uh, looking at verse 10, relates to the latter days. And the Lord talks about the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. And he goes on to say, in times past, they were not his people, but it shall be said in those last days, ye are the sons of the living God. And these are core themes. We, as we know, the Abrahamic covenant would provide for his seed to bring uh, to fullness all the promises given by God that through the house of Israel, his seed, Abraham's seed, would be infinite and would prosper and um, not just in terms of numbers, but in terms of their role in ministry uh, to bless and save the world as covenant Israel in the last days, that the, the numbers of those seed into the eternities would be uh, infinite. And I, I love this idea, ye are the sons of the living God. We are all the children of God. But this idea encapsulates a further notion, a more poignant notion, which is that through covenant rebirth, uh, through the ordinances, through the covenants of the restored gospel, we are born again. We become the sons and daughters of Christ through spiritual rebirth. And we acquire, uh, as a matter of inheritance, the opportunity to, to obtain all the blessings in time and eternity that Christ possesses as the firstborn of the Father. He has the right to the inheritance. He's the birthright son, if you like. But he has that opportunity through his atonement to bestow those great gifts and powers upon those who accept him by covenant. And so in the last days, 
the, the children of Israel would become the sons of the living God. And I, I love that idea and what a powerful idea. We can think about that ourselves, those covenants in our lives, how precious they are in reconciling us to our Father in heaven and to his beloved Son. In chapter 2 of Hosea, there's reference to false gods, the worship of false gods. Now, of course, the Lord doesn't want us to have false gods. He wants us to worship him, and he wants us to come unto him. And I love the facts that in verse 19 and 20 and 23 in particular, the Lord talks about betrothing thee unto me forever. So there's a sense of a covenant relationship, a sense of a marriage, a sense of bringing together. He's righteous. He's kind. He's loving. He has great mercy. He is faithful. And he remembers his covenant to the house of Israel. So in the last days, he brings uh, the house of Israel, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph back into the covenant. The covenant is renewed. And that covenant, as the prophets have taught us, is binding between us and God. Elder Bednar spoke recently about this idea of yoking ourselves to Christ through covenant connection. Elder Gong has spoken about covenant belonging. So in our ultimate destiny, our nature is to belong to God, to belong with him in covenant connection. And Israel is the body of those people who want to make and keep sacred covenants. And all are invited uh, to that covenant. And this is a common theme in the Old Testament. It, it really is the focus on the covenant, that the Lord wants a covenant people. And all the prophets uh, teach this notion and invite people to come to the covenants of God. In verse 23 of chapter 2, uh, the Lord speaks about his mercy upon those who had not previously uh, obtained mercy. And he will say, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. So there's that recognition, the, the awareness by covenant Israel, that God is their father, that they belong to him, they belong with him, they want to abide with him. And these are the days, this, this day in which we are living, these are the days of fulfillment of these prophecies. So how important it is to know that we are the people who are called to fulfill those covenants, to ensure that we have that abiding covenant connection with our Father in heaven and with our beloved Savior. Then in chapter 3, we're told that Israel will seek the Lord in the latter days and return to him. Israel had been apostate uh, in many times and places in the in the Old Testament, we talk about Israel breaking and breaching the covenant. But in the last days, Israel is to return and to be gathered together. In verse 4, the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. There's this idea of a royal nation, a peculiar people, that we are to have a king and that king is Christ. He is our lawgiver. He is our king. And there is a time when Israel does not have him as their king. But that will change. In the last days, the days in which we live now, the house of Israel is to have a, a lawgiver, is to have a king. That finds ultimate fulfillment in the millennium and then into the celestial kingdom. 
where God the Father and Christ are kings um, to rule and reign in righteousness forever. And we are to be citizens of that kingdom. We are to be inheritors if we seek to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Uh, so we are called by the prophets to seek this living God, this kingly God, uh, this ruler who reigns in righteousness. Uh, we are told in the last days Israel shall fear the Lord and his goodness. So covenant Israel will reverence and respect the God of heaven and will know of his goodness, will know of his loving kindness, will know of his mercy. These will be things that will be bestowed, that they will feel and sense. And, and how wonderful it is to consider those concepts, to reflect on our own covenant relationship with the Lord. And I would always encourage people to do that, that in those covenants there is belonging, in those covenants there is safety, there is meaning. We come to sense the world through the reality of the promises we have made. And we understand scriptural history so much better if we understand that God always wants a covenant people. And not that he wants to control us. He wants to belong to him in love, in unity. And, and that covenant is the sublime way. It's the God appointed way for uniting us with him deeply and everlastingly. And how wonderful it is to know that the Lord bestows his goodness in the ultimate sense through his covenant. He shows his fidelity. He shows his faithfulness. He shows his devotion in a long-term relationship with his covenant people. And he wants us to abide in that covenant and be richly blessed by it. Then in chapter 4, we know that Israel, for a time and a season, goes after false gods and uh, doesn't worship the God of Israel. But the Lord says this in verse 1, through his prophet, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And so God has a problem with Israel at this time. At the time Hosea is speaking, he, he wants there to be a sense of relationship, a sense of responsibility, a sense of devotion, a sense of fidelity. And of course, Israel is going after false gods. So there isn't that sense of truth, that sense of loyalty to doctrine, the sense of faithfulness to the true and living God. And of course, God is our ultimate benefactor. He's our creator. He sustains us and he bestows his treasures upon us. His rule is not oppressive. His government is benign. And he wants the best for us through a loving covenant relationship, a relationship that involves law and involves love. And there are really two sides of the same coin. That the doctrines of God give us security. They give us the safety. They help us to relate to others in good and godly, just and merciful ways. So our God has a problem with Israel and he tells them, I want you to seek me. I want you to repent. I want you to live faithfully. In chapter five, uh, we're told that the kingdoms of Judah and Israel fall 
and fail and falter uh, because of their evil, because of their sins. Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Now, of course, this is at this time. And in modern Israel, we are intended to be righteous. The Lord has put us on a righteous path, which is a right path. The path of righteousness is the path of path of that which is good. It is the path of that which is right and to do justly before God. And so um, there's always that sense of failure if Israel does not keep the covenant, does not keep the law. And we can see what happens when the law of God is not kept. Great conflict, great dissension, great heartbreak, great suffering, great loneliness, great fear. Um, all the terrible things that happen because of the breaching of the commandments. So God is good. He gives us those laws that will bless us. He wants to save and protect Israel from its own worst potential, its own worst nature. Then in chapter 6, and we're moving quite sprightly uh, through these because we have so many good things to concern ourselves with. And this is just a pointer. This is just to encourage a conversation. And I will always encourage you to reflect and to take counsel from the Lord, think on his word and rejoice in his word because it gives us so much tangible guidance and encouragement and spiritual nourishment. It gives us the nutrition of the soul, those things we need to know and to feel and to believe and to do that will bring us to a place of joy, bring us that inner peace that only the gospel can bring. So in chapter 6, we, we begin in verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Verse 2. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So many wonderful ideas here. The idea of returning, of healing, of binding. There's that idea of restoration restorative healing. I think of the prodigal son. I think of the good Samaritan. I think of so many stories from the scriptures, both Old and New Testament and the, the other revelations, the Book of Mormon, where that which is broken needs to be healed. That Christ suffers so the, we might be saved. We might be healed through his bruising. And this is a foretelling of, of that. Uh, this is an indication that Christ would be the suffering servant, that he would come to heal us, to bind us up, to heal our wounds, and to make us new again. Um, and of course, all these things are a type of that which God seeks to do. As he um, seek, seeks to save his son, his only begotten son, um, through resurrection, through the redemptive process, he seeks to save all of us. He seeks to bring us through inheritance back to his everlasting kingdom. We are all like the prodigal son, uh, except Jesus Christ. We've all fallen away. We've all detoured um, from the way of righteousness. And we all need that repentance. We all need that restoration. We all need that healing and to be raised in a resurrection and to be brought back into the literal presence of God. 
And then in verse 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So obviously in the gospel cause and in the house of Israel, uh, sacrifices have always been essential. They've always been important. The form of that sacrifice has changed over the years, but the sacrifices have always been core. I'm always interested to see the perspective of the Lord and what he really regards. And of course, he commanded his people to engage in sacrifices and burnt offerings. But the reason that he did that was not simply as an end in itself. Those sacrifices pointed to something more meaningful. They pointed to Christ. They pointed to his atonement. They pointed to his sacrificial service on our behalf. And so the mercy that comes through the atonement is so important. The prophets Zenoch and Zenos in the Book of Mormon were told that they they taught the people that the, the, the Lord was angry with the people for not understanding the mercy of God bestowed through his son, his only begotten son, the savior of the world. And so this idea that mercy and knowledge of God are so important, they're far more important than sacrifice and burnt offerings, although those things are critical, they're vital, but we have to understand the meaning of those things and our hearts need to turn to God, to return to God, to come back to God, to remember God, to believe and think on God and feel close to him. So he wants us not simply to perform actions, ritual actions, although they're essential. He wants us to be invested in heart and soul. And these are the great principles that the prophet is teaching, uh, that sacrifice is necessary. It's essential. But the ultimate sacrifice is the sacrifice of the Son of God. And those sacrifices which we make in token of him, in remembrance of him, uh, they're the sacrifices that draw us close to God. When we give of ourselves and remember to rely on the mercy of the Redeemer and the goodness of his love, the greatness of his character, uh, those things will draw us to God. They will draw our hearts and our minds to the Father and the Son. And so these things point us to God. They lead us to Christ. Then in chapter 10, we learn more about Israel uh, engaging in wickedness. The phrase in the chapter heading is Israel has plowed wickedness and reaped iniquity. Um, so that which we sow, we reap. If we sow good, we reap good. If we sow evil, we reap evil. So sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Uh, it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So we are to seek our Father in heaven and his Son, and we are to sow sow in righteousness, to choose good voluntarily. That's the key. And as we choose to do good and to turn away from evil, we are drawing closer to God. We are finding mercy. We are finding peace. We are finding joy. And I love that phrase, the Lord will rain righteousness upon us. A shower, a deluge, a storm of, of water and liberation 
and life and sustenance and renewal. And that's the sense, that's the gospel sense, that the Lord speaks in terms of abundance. And the prophet is reminding Israel that true happiness, the true prosperity, comes in and through God. There is no other way. We cannot simply rely on the arm of flesh, as strong as the arm of flesh might be or might appear to be. We need to rely on our Redeemer. Then in chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now we know that the Son of God was in Egypt as a baby in order to um, be prevented from dying under the dictate of um, King Herod, wicked King Herod, who sought to slay the the male children as he felt threatened about losing his kingdom. And so Israel uh, has always been called upon by the Lord. Uh, When Israel was young, um, it was loved and blessed and protected and saved by the Lord. And Israel needs to come to the Lord. We know that Ephraim in this chapter 11 turns away from the Lord, but Ephraim in the last days will return, has returned to a great degree and repented. And we know that Ephraim, uh, the tribe of Ephraim, has a key role to play in the gathering of Israel. And that's the great work that's happening now in these great last days. Chapter 11, we start to get into this idea of revelations. We get into this idea of prophets and visions and and these wonderful things. Verse 6 says, Therefore turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. The scriptures are full of these rich insights, these rich revelatory doctrines of turning to God that we we turn away from the world, from evil, and turn to our Father in heaven and his beloved Son. And in that we find response. God hears our prayer. He responds. If we supplicate, he doesn't leave us in distress. He hears and he hearkens and he blesses us. He blesses us with mercy and judgment. And that judgment that God gives us is to lead us back to him. It's to correct us. It's to chasten us where needed so that we're brought back to him. Or it's to commend us for the good that we do. But it's always beneficial to us to be judged of God. And if we listen, if we hearken, if we are humble and prayerful, prayerful and accept the counsel that he has given to us in great righteousness. We're told to wait on thy God continually. A sense of patience, a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation that our belief is not fruitful. It's not fruitless, rather. It is fruitful. Our belief may take time to manifest in great rewards and great blessings. And that's the nature of the test we face. But that blessing does come and is rich. And especially in the last days, um, great blessings will come. But at this time, we know the Lord is saying that he's using prophets, he's using visions to try and share his message with the house of Israel. And sometimes, many times, they struggled to respond in affirmative 
ways. The Lord in verse 10 says, I've also spoken by the prophets and I've multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. So he has multiplied visions. He has given his people visions uh, through prophets and in other ways. He has blessed them with a personal understanding of what he is to do. The Lord is guiding us. He has given us his word and plainness and purity. He has spoken clearly. He, he is not acting in secret. He is acting in a way that he wants to reveal his knowledge to Israel and to the world. And these, uh, this idea of similitudes, of types, of symbols, of tokens, of shadows, of representations, that the things that God has done point to God. All those things which come from God bear evidence of his divinity, of his nature, of his attributes, of his plans and purposes. That which comes from God leads us back to God. It bears testimony of his work. And so all good things bear testimony of God and his son. And they produce after their own kind. Goodness begets goodness. God uh, the knowledge of God leads us to more knowledge. And so these similitudes, these types, these representations always point us to God and his son. And the prophets are always pointing us to God. Now, let's move on here to chapter 13, where Ephraim's sins provoke the Lord. Verse 4, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no saviour beside me. And we hear that same doctrine uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, that there is only one saviour of the world, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jehovah at this time, who would later become Jesus the Christ, he's the saviour. He saves the world. There is no other way. Um, and we have to know him. We have to be acquainted with him. We have to become familiar in the scriptures, this idea of no is not simply a superficial understanding or an intellectual understanding. It's experiential. It's intimate. Um, it, it's a closeness. So we need to come to know God personally and deeply. And also the house of Israel as a, a body of people needs to know the Lord. And then verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. So we know what's coming. And that obviously this is before Christ ministered to the people, but he would come. He would break the, the bands of death. He will destroy the hold of hell. He would overcome that which the devil had power over. And the mighty Savior, the mighty Christ would lead us back to the Father's presence and help us to uh, obtain a resurrection. We couldn't obtain one without him. He will give us a resurrection and a repentance, a redemption from sin and death, not simply to be saved from sin and death, but to be saved for righteousness and glory, to be saved for, for the celestial heaven in the ultimate sense, and to be saved for a kingdom of glory for all of God's children who are willing to be so saved. So that redemption is real. And the more we accept God and his beloved son, God the Father and Jesus Christ, his son, the more we accept them, the more blessed 
we are by then. Chapter 14. In the last days, Ephraim will return, uh, repent and return to the Lord. Ephraim was one of the sons of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. And as we know, Joseph saved his people, saved his father and his family uh, with a great temporal salvation. It's a sign and a similitude that Christ would redeem us uh, from all those things which would drag us down and which would keep us um, in damnation. Christ would redeem his people. So verse 9 says this, Who is wise? He shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. So we have this idea that the Lord wants us to have comprehension. He wants us to know. He wants us to be acquainted. He wants us to understand and to be aware and to have a a, a real understanding of these things, a deep experiential understanding of his ways, to understand repentance, to experience it, not for it to just be an idea, but to be an experience that we come to know what obedience means by doing it. And we come to know what repentance involves by repenting. And only those who have repented know the joy of repentance. And so the ways of the Lord are right. They're always right. The path of obedience is the path that the Lord wants us to follow. And if we're not obedient, we can repent. And repentance is also the way of the Lord. Satan doesn't provide us with the opportunity to repent. Only Christ can do that. So repentance is a gift. It's a merciful gift. It's a blessing. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And we should use that gift. We should rely on it and come to the Lord and and plead for his mercy and supplicate before the throne of grace. And all of us uh, should do that. Now, okay, so we're going to move into Joel as we progress here. And in chapter 1, this is about a solemn assembly, the call for a solemn assembly. I love the prophet Joel. I love his doctrine and I, I... I'm so happy that we have some time to focus on these thoughts. So verse 14 says this, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land unto the house, into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. That solemn assembly is always associated with the most holy experiences. As we know, when we get a, a, a new prophet, new president of the church, we have a solemn assembly. When we have a dedication of a temple, we essentially have a, a, a solemn assembly um, and a Hosanna shout. And so these solemn assemblies where we gather together, the saints of the Most High gather in conference, gather in unity, gather in a spirit of prayer and perhaps even fasting, in a, in a spirit of dedication, they are blessed in those situations, in the house of the Lord. And Elder Bednar has reminded us recently that we shouldn't refer so much to the temple, but we should talk about the house of the Lord, the house of Christ. It's his his house and the Father's house, the house of God, and their abode, their sanctuary, their place of revelation. And so as we go um, 
to those places, we receive the blessings of communication with God. I'm struck by the fact that President Nelson is pushing forward this revelation-based work of building and dedicating temples in these last days. This is a millennial prophecy, that in the last days leading up to and in the millennium, great numbers of houses of the Lord will be built by the covenant people, so that all the billions of spirit children could be offered uh, the ordinances of salvation and exaltation. So how profound it is to know that we are literally living in those days where these things can be properly fulfilled, where we have the the, the great opportunity to go to the house of the Lord, uh, to the home of God, and, and, and find treasures there, and find joy and peace and love and belonging there. <clears throat> Now, chapter 2, we're talking about the second coming. The second coming will be the days of great tribulation, days of war, of famine, of plagues, of distress, of men's hearts failing them. Uh, the sun and the moon will be darkened, which would indicate that the power, um, the light was not being shown in the world. Uh, as men reject God, the light um becomes dim but of course the sun and the moon would be replaced by the power of god the power of christ the light of the world now let's read some of these verses verse 10 the earth shall quake before them the heavens shall tremble so this is a time when even the heavens are shaking um, and and the sun and the moon and the stars are in chaos and and so we we see these great galactic events and whether you read them literally or metaphorically, they're stunning. I read them literally. I realize maybe not everyone does. But this idea, great signs in the heaven and in the earth. These are things that are, that are soon to happen uh, upon the earth and upon the heavens. The heavens shall tremble. Think about that. Think about the implications of that. And we are living in preparation for these exciting times. Verse 11. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Well, indeed, it is a great and terrible day. It's a great and dreadful day. It's great for the righteous, but terrible for the wicked. And so uh, the Lord speaks. He's a revealing God. He's an execution God in the sense of he carries out his work. He executes his word. His word doesn't fall to the ground. He brings it to pass. He brings it to fruition. And we have this sense that God comes in the latter days to save his people literally uh, from temporal destruction and to, to bring them into a, a great place of salvation and safety. And the only ones who can abide that day are those who are listening to Christ. Either those in the covenant who are obedient uh, or those in the world who are not yet in the covenant but who are hearkening to the light of Christ, who are following Christ. That's the key, that we have to be following Christ. And if we're not, um, we have to learn to follow Christ, uh, to be protected from the, the troubles of the last days. Verse 12, uh, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, 
and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning in verse 13 and rend your heart and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness well, what mar- marvelous verses these are what beautiful um, phrases turn to the Lord with your heart with your soul with your desire with your feeling with your innermost thoughts and wishes and hopes turn to God trust him believe in him come to him and with fasting prepare yourself sanctify yourself cleanse yourself make yourself ready to receive communication with weeping and mourning be sad about those things we should be sad about come to the Lord sincerely don't hide your emotions show him in prayer how you feel show him what you're going through reveal it to him don't conceal it tell the Lord uh, what you're feeling and thinking and he can take it and he appreciates that disclosure he loves it when we come to him genuinely honestly vulnerably Uh, we show all our vulnerabilities and we reveal ourselves to him with no um, masks and with no pretense but with genuine sincerity rend your heart indict yourself if you're doing things that are wrong and repent and and turn to god he's he's kind he's far more merciful than we think and he will love us he will bless us he will bestow great kindness upon us and this is the promise this is the prophetic promise to the house of israel and to all people who want to come to god verse 26 uh, ye shall eat in plenty you shall praise the name of the lord your god that hath death dealt wondrously with you. That sense of praise, that sense of thankfulness, that sense of gratitude. The older I get, the more I experience the blessings of heaven, the more I feel to thank the Lord. I stand amazed at his goodness. I thank my Father in heaven for his benevolent plan. Um, How wondrous, wondrous he is. He is a wondrous God. He is a Uh, a man of wonder, a man of gifts and talents. He's a man of love and he wants to bestow his wonders, his signs and miracles upon us. Uh, Verse 28 says this, and this is really beautiful. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Well, what a marvelous promise this is, especially pertaining to the latter days. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and I know that he was 14 when he was called. He was a young man, but he received a visitation. He was received visions and dreams as a young man. Even when he died, he was a relatively young man. So he was a young man who received revelations and visions from the Lord. And there are many others in the scriptures. Uh, There are many others in our modern day who are receiving those dreams and those visions. I know in my own life, I've had many dreams from the Lord. So many, I can't even remember them all, but many of them I've written down. And I don't share them too often. Sometimes I share them, but I've had revelatory dreams from the Lord and the Lord has spoken clearly to me and powerfully. And so I know that these prophecies are true. And I'm so grateful that we believe in a revealing God, a speaking God, a witnessing God. He's a God who wants to share his miracles, his mysteries with us. He wants to make them known. 
and also the old men have revelatory experiences and our daughters the, the women of the church have revelation and inspiration and prophecy so these are the great days of prophecy and power and so many wonderful things are happening and as president nelson said that some of the greatest manifestations of the power of christ will come between now and the time the Lord comes again uh, to return to this earth. So this is a time of preparation to receive the Spirit, to receive dreams and gifts and blessings, to know who we are and whose we are. In verse 32, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So if we call on God's name, we will find response. We will find rescue. We will find deliverance from our enemies, from our weaknesses, from our faults, from our troubles. We will find the help that God gives. And this is not just as individuals, but also to the covenant people of the Lord who are protected as a, a group to do great work, to do the work of the Lord in the latter days. Now we move finally on to chapter 3. And we've rushed in a way through much of this material. But this is just to point us to the Lord. This is just to get us encouraged to think and feel about the Lord our God and the prophecies and the promises and the, the doctrines he has given to us. So in the latter days, all the nations of the earth will be at war. We're told in, in Joel uh, chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. The wickedness of men in the last days exceeds um, the wickedness we've ever seen in many ways and, and will will be very, very wicked. And uh, war, war is uh, a terrible thing. But we, the nations of the earth are already in many ways at war, but will continue to be. The harvest of wickedness will come to a situation where it's ripe, meaning that the wickedness will be so bad that the Lord will intervene and put an end to it. And that's what's being prophesied, that there will in due course be an end. Uh, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The valley of decision. So that place where men must decide which being they serve. Do they serve the God of heaven or they, do they serve some other God? We all have to decide. And at the precipice, at that point, um, the Lord will come really and of course this relates to the battle of armageddon and, and other uh, conflicts that are will be going on at that time and uh, verse 15 the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining those things stop shining the sun and the moon uh, because the light of the world will come and um, his luminosity will outshine everything else Verse 16, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. 
that confidence that God is our protector, our shield, our strength, our hope, our deliverer. He's the covenant uh, Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's our uh, the head of the army. Um, and he's the one we look to, to save and protect us. And that's what will happen uh, before all um, the great joys of the millennium come. There is much tribulation. And we do not need to worry. We do not need to fear. God is our strength and our buckler and our shield. And the prophets have spoken clearly. We know where we stand and we know with whom we stand. Brothers and sisters, it's been wonderful to be be with you today. And as we come to an end, I hope and pray that you have been touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. I hope and pray that you know that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. I know that that is true. I know that he lives with all that those simple words imply. He's the living king of Israel. He loves you. He loves the world, the people of the world. He doesn't love the ways of the world, but he loves the people of the world. And he wants to bring us back to him. He wants to save covenant Israel with an everlasting salvation. I testify that he will come again soon. I testify that he is gathering his people in preparation for these great wondrous things. I testify that we are in the days of prophecy and power, visions, dreams, revelations, gifts, temples, wonders, missionary work. All of these things are happening in fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know that Russell M. Nelson is a prophet. And I know that these are great times. I bear testimony that we are to come and to follow Christ. We are to draw close to him. We are to come to the Father. We are to feel the power of the Spirit drawing us close to the Father and the Son. I know that they can bless us, that they can save us. I have that testimony in my soul, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.